This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into this week's edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are talking ECU, Georgia State. The Pirates 0-1 facing the Panthers 0-1 in Atlanta this weekend. Very excited to have uh, a new guest to the podcast. You've been reading his work on Hoist the Colors. If you're a member, he is Brett Hickman, the head coach at West Brunswick High School in Eastern North Carolina. He's an East Carolina alum. He's coached in college football before, so Brett... You've been doing some work for us. We appreciate you uh, taking some time to hop on the podcast as well. Uh, my pleasure, Stephen. It's been great to, I guess, touch base and with, with the Pirate Nation and provide any type of analysis that I guess I can, whether or not it's worth anything, who knows. But the guys seem to be enjoying it right now. Yeah, I think the people, you know, the, especially the diehard fans, they really enjoy kind of that in-depth look in the football. And, you know, you're a lot more qualified than me to talk about the X's and O's, you've been coaching a long time. Uh, you did it at Gardner-Webb. You did it at North Greenville. Uh, you know, you did it at ECU. So let, let's go through your background as a coach, not only in high school but at the college level, and kind of explain to people what your story is. Yeah, so I grew up the son of a, you know, kind of an Eastern North Carolina high school coaching uh I don't want to use the word legend, but my dad was a very successful high school coach. He's the winningest coach at uh, St. Paul's High School in West Brunswick High School, where I'm actually the head coach now. So I grew up around the game, uh, played quarterback at West Brunswick, and uh, went off to East Carolina, was in school from 2004 to 2008, and got involved in the football program really because of my dad's previous relationship with Harold Robinson, uh, who was the longtime head coach at Williamston and then you know, finished his career as the director of high school relations up at East Carolina. And I was on Skip Holtz's staff for two years as a student assistant where I worked mainly with Greg Hudson uh, with the linebackers. And certainly it was a great time to be um, a part of the program and then stayed on for one year, uh, the 2008 season as a GA where I worked mainly with him and uh, Rick Smith a little bit with the defensive backs. And then after, um, after, uh, I guess, the Liberty Bowl loss um, to Kentucky that year, wound up at North Greenville University with my first full-time job. Spent four years there, three as a linebackers coach and a special teams coordinator, and then one as the defensive coordinator um, and actually coached the safeties that year. And then five years at Gardner-Webb University where I coached on each side of the ball. It was special teams coordinator for three years and then was actually the run game coordinator on offense my last two years. So pretty diverse background, uh, I guess, at the college level. And then um, the head job back home came open. And, yeah, it's, we have a young family. My wife, Sarah, is also an East Carolina alum. Uh, we met in school there. Uh, we have two young boys and just thought it was time to kind of set up roots a little bit. And, and so we're back home and we've been here two years and, you know, turned the corner, I guess, a little bit quicker than a lot of people thought. We were five and six our first year and then 10 and two our second year and should have a pretty good team. We had a lot of program momentum, I guess, going into March. Kids were really buying into the weight room. You know, COVID has thrown us all for a loop, as you can imagine. And, uh, you know, just looking forward to getting back out there with our own team here, you know, here shortly. We did a little bit, you know, in, in August, but we'll be really back going for good here in November for the spring season. Yeah, different times for everybody, especially for North Carolina high school football with you guys getting the, the season moved back to the spring, and that's giving you some time to, to really dive into this ECU football team and help us out on Hoist the Colors, which we've really enjoyed. And I'd be remiss not to ask you about, you know, Javian McCray, who, uh, you know, a lot of people that follow recruiting, they know well. He was a pretty big recruit from your – 
your team, uh, West Brunswick High School. You know, how have your conversations been with Javian, and, and how is he doing in his freshman year at ECU? Well, I think you know he's going through that that young maturation process that a lot of eighteen year olds go through that first year. Um, you know, the the he had early enrolled and he came home for spring break and he looked fantastic. Looked like he had cut a little bit of weight and then quarantine was not very good to him. You know, he had no access to a gym and, and no access to even we like we couldn't let him in our gym at school and, and got a little heavy. And when he came back, um, you know, I think he got, I'm not sure if he got COVID or he got involved in a contract tracing situation. Um, and I wouldn't disclose it if I absolutely knew it so take that for what it's worth but so he's been in and out um you know nagging a little shoulder injury but, but I think he's enjoying it I think you know it's probably a little bit discouraging to see so many of his classmates get to play early and he's a guy who's good enough to play early I mean I'm not naturally speaking but he's got things he's you know we've got, he's got to get back in shape and play at that level that coach Houston and, and Roy Tesh want him to get back to play in and He'll be a good player there in time. I'm 100% confident in saying that. But uh, he's going through some maturation things that he's a great kid. I don't mean that in any any bad way or not. But, you know, there's a process to being a college football player that it's a little eye-opening, you know, for all of them. And some people adjust a little bit better. And and the COVID thing would have – had he had been there all spring, you know, it could have been a little bit different story. But we'll see if he can't – shape the depth chart here in the coming weeks or if it's going to be more of a traditional I guess year long I know nobody's redshirting but you know that's not unusual for 18 year olds not to crack depth charts you know <laughs> um I have to remind him of that pretty often you know especially when you've been the best player on your team your whole life yeah there's a ton of young D linemen and really uh, the guys who have been able to avoid the contact tracing, the COVID, and, you know, been able to get access to gyms are the ones that are playing. I think a lot of people uh, just assume that the highest rated recruit or whatnot is going to play right away, but really there's a lot that goes into it. And, and I'm with you, having watched uh, McCray's film and, and talking to him as a person, I think he'll be fine in time. Just like a, a, even a local kid like Keziah Everett from Farmville Central, just because he's a redshirt freshman not on the depth chart doesn't mean he can't be a good player in a year or two. So uh, I'm with you there. Um, well, Brett, let's talk about this Georgia State game, a very important game for East Carolina, really the only non-conference game on the schedule. You know, they're hoping to add Marshall down the road. But you're very familiar with really both these staffs, East Carolina and Georgia State. You know, Sean Elliott, the head coach at Georgia State now, obviously Mike Houston and many of his staff members uh, you've worked alongside or coached against. So uh, you, you had a great breakdown earlier this week on Hoist the Colors, kind of what to expect from Georgia State's offense. It looks like we'll get a lot of – quarterback run game a lot of zone read some option game so when you look at this matchup what kind of intrigues you most uh, from an X's and O's perspective well you know talking about their staff a lot of those guys were in LA or FCS football about the same time I was so Brad Glenn who was at Western Carolina we'd run to him on the road recruiting and we played him so you know what pretty familiar with the things he likes to do offensively Corey Peoples um the defensive back coach over there and uh, Nate Fuqua were both at Wofford and Charleston Southern as I was coaching against them. So there's a bunch of those guys that I know pretty well that are really good coaches. I think from an X's and O's standpoint, you know, starting on East Carolina's defense, you're, you're looking at a situation or a circumstance where, you know, these guys kind of move the football the way UCF used to with McKenzie Milton. You know, you're going to look at perimeter run game, quarterback run game, um, the wide screen and then play action down the field, as opposed to last week with UCF. UCF's kind of embraced the old Art Browse Baylor system where the running backs are going to get the ball between the tackles and everything on the perimeter is going to be, you know, the quick screens, the quick balls, and then, you know, drop back vertical passing game, which Gabriel was extraordinarily accurate. You're not going to get the drop back game, but you know, Brad had a kid at Western Carolina named Tyree Adams, who was a career 8,000-yard passer. He owned every passing record in the school's history, completions, yardage, touchdowns, everything. But he was also a 3,000-yard rusher. So in what does Blake Harrell have to do to stop the quarterback run game? Because it's going to be a priority this week. They have to move an extra hat in the box. Do you do you spy a little bit? Do you not blitz as much off the interior like you did against UCF? 
because mainly they were running the football in between the tackles and then you know nothing was really threatening to get the ball out the back door other than the quick screen or something like that so you see a little more edge pressure it'll be a little bit more of a cat and mouse game uh, you know I think you'll see um, I think you'll see a couple more overload blitzes from an East Carolina perspective meaning not just one guy off an edge maybe one guy knifing and then another guy looping around what I call overload blitzes you know that could happen you know so I, you gotta you gotta be able to get some negative plays and uh, that's one thing that that you know Brad will Brad Glenn will do a good job you know exposing you with some of those things because I you know I showed one play where he'll overload the boundary and that leaves a ton of space one-on-one to the field so can does East Carolina have a corner other than McMillan who can be put in that situation and play all day or do you say, okay, we're still going to cloud that one receiver to the field and just say, okay, you you can nickel and dime us to the short side of the field. We're not going to give up the big play. Now that's a chess match. So that kind of that's really what I see from a defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I think it's more about East Carolina than it is about Georgia State. I mean, Nate Fuqua is the defensive coordinator at Georgia State. Nate's a really good football coach, but you're not going to see. Um, the consistent pressures that UCF brought, you know, they're going to primarily bring four or five. UCF had no problem bringing six. You're going to see more multiple coverage, you know, some soft, some press, as opposed to UCF where it was pretty much all either press man or catch man. And we're going to play with a lot of confidence and you can't get off of it. Um, So, you know, East Carolina's got to get their passing game going. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that, the offensive staff and Coach Houston was not pleased, and and I we did the long breakdown of the, it wasn't just the quarterback, it wasn't just the receivers, it wasn't just the O line. East Carolina's got to get that going because, you know, they're not going to run Holton all that much. You know, I think that's been proven. Though I think it would help them offensively a little bit more. This team's got to be more explosive in the air. I think I think three hundred yards and two or three touchdowns every week needs to be the baseline for this team. Yeah, you know, last week just the production wasn't there. And, and you know, Coach Houston, to his credit, you know, he after rewatching the film, he gave a lot of credit to UCF's defensive backs. He said they were much improved. It sounded like in man coverage, uh, Tyler Sneed, who we know is dynamic in the slot, you know, kind of struggled with the size of UCF's nickelback, which he's an Alabama transfer and played in 13 games as a true freshman at Bama. So, they got some dudes, man, and uh, I think Georgia State, you know, has some guys as well. I think they have a South Carolina transfer that's supposed to be eligible this week in the secondary, so I'll be interested to see what happens there. You mentioned uh, going back to ECU's defense versus their offense. I'm very intrigued to see, you know, we know Sean Elliott's an offensive line guy. His background is offensive line, and you have ECU with pretty much an entirely new defensive front. Um how is that matchup going to go as this game goes along? And I'll ask you something as a coach. You know, we saw the, the pre-snap movement last week give UCF a lot of problems uh, with guys kind of shifting just before the snap. As a, as a coach, is that tough at all to prepare for, uh, especially if you're an offensive line as, as far as who to block just before the snap if they're moving like that? Well, what happened, you know, last week is is – Blake or somebody on that defensive staff picked up something from the Georgia Tech game where they had a key on on McKin. I'm sorry, not Milton uh, Gabriel's cadence. So you know he's up there and maybe he goes to his towel and shoot, puts his hands up and and you could actually hear it. And there, you Heupel's over there complaining um, that they're simulating a, a snap count, but we look for the same things because we're a multiple three front. Three, four. So we'll line up in all kinds of stuff. And if we see something, the cadence we like, you know, our Mike linebacker might just say move at the same time that center is supposed to be here and set hit or whatever it is. And that obviously it caused a problem, but it's not, you're not simulating the, the offensive stack count. You're triggering your own D line movement. You know, it would be different if all of them were stagnant and they weren't up there. So you're always looking for those type of things, whether or not it's stance of a guard, um, whether or not he's really in a three-point stance, but his hands are heavy in that dirt. You know, you might make a dove or deer call. Dove meaning the ball's going to be in the air based on his stance. I know he's in a stance where he can pass block. 
where he's real heavy on that hand, we make a deer call. He's on the ground, um, you know, party, 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 pass, pass, pass. You know, that was a code word that we used with Coach Hudson. So you're always looking for things like that. You're also looking for movements. You know, a lot of spread quarterbacks have a tendency if they're going to pass the football, when they get back in the shotgun, they put one leg back. But if it's a run, their legs are staggered. You're always looking for type stuff like that to trigger either your movements or to help you with calls and checks for that. So as far as the matchup's concerned, I'm pretty, I guess, pleased with how East Carolina's D-line and really their their front six played. When I, when I say the front six, I'm talking the two inside backers as well. The one thing that I think Coach Harrell knows, and I think what I was frustrated with most of all last year was when you're a little bit undermanned, you can't just sit up there and play a 4-2 the whole time. And they were very stagnant. We're going to get good at it. What you saw last week, though they got moved a little bit at times, they were always stunting. They were all – East Carolina's D-line was always stunting. They were always on the move. There was a twist game every now and then, or there was a dog. And as a result, you got a ton of negative plays. You know, now they gave up some big ones, certainly, but I, I don't think that's going to change all year. I think Blake and, and the staff know that they've got to be very multiple. They've got to – play in a four down front one set they got to play in a three down front they've got to be able to stem from one or the other and they've got to be able to play angles they got to be able to play techniques they've got to be able to long stick which means not only crossing one gap but crossing two gap and I know I'm getting a little technical but you're going to see a very diverse even times it only looks like they're bringing four there's usually some type of movement game up there uh, to where you're trying to block moving targets as opposed to what we used to call wooden Indians. You know, it's it's one thing to block something on a board, but it's a little bit different when when it starts happening in the, in the, over the course of a ball game. Yeah, and that's something ECU just didn't do a whole lot last year. That that movement they didn't disguise much, and they just didn't have the horses, I think, to sit in that base defense, which is why I think Coach Houston made the change and why we're seeing some different stuff now. And we'll probably see that from week to week. All right, Brett, uh, let's dive into it. We got a ton of questions on the Hoist Colors message board. I was I was hoping for like five and we got a we got like fifteen. I don't know if we're gonna be able to get to all these, but we'll we'll run through them. Uh, some of them, you know, are X's and O's related, some of them are just kind of just different stuff. So uh, you can definitely weigh in on any of these. Um, first question we got, what young player in the trenches impressed you the most during the opener after reviewing the game? Um you know, for me personally, I really like a number of guys, uh, but Rick Diabreu, who played three technique, uh, number 45, I thought looked really good. He actually made pro football focuses all uh, week four college football team after their grading uh, of the game. So he had a good game. He got penetration. Um, so I like what, what he did. Uh, Xavier McIver, another true freshman, I thought held his own. Did, did you notice anybody in that aspect of thing? Uh, Brett. Those two, those two primarily, uh, you know, the one thing without the coach's tape, and people will hear me say this a lot, right. you can't see the effort that you really need to see when the ball goes away from them. Uh, but what you saw with both of those two is I thought the line of scrimmage moved, you know, and that's important on the on the interior. Um, gosh, I think it's Stinson, the kid who yeah. played uh, – he was a three technique most of the week, and I think Coach uh, – Houston said he moved to five technique. I don't think he did a poor job either. So, you know, it's always good to see young kids who who make some plays and they get in there. But those two inside guys, Abreu and MacGyver, I think I think MacGyver got 18 to 20 snaps or whatever, and some of them were late in the game. But the line of scrimmage does move. I think he's going to be able to be a, a stalwart in there, and he's only going to get better because he's a big kid, you know, and it gets nasty in there when you're over that center, man. That's That's, that's three people you know, a lot of the time. So both those guys did a good job and there's a lot to be excited about that front. But once again, you know, I think you have to come in Blake because he's bringing just enough pressure to keep those guys out of, out of too many double teams and he's slanting them, you know, where, you know, a center might leave him and then a guard gets him, but you're not having to worry about two of them taking them the whole time. So that's going to allow those guys to flourish a little bit more and, in the end, if it forces people to stay on them a little bit longer on the first level, conversely, it keeps linemen from climbing to the second level as well. Uh, this poster also asks, what player or players have to play well for ECU to beat Georgia State? Um, 
I mean, it's obvious, but I think Holt Naylor's and, and the offense have to have a bounce back game. Like like you mentioned earlier, I think ECU's going to have some matchups that favor them in this game as opposed to maybe UCF. And I think you, you just you got your your star quarterback. He's in his third year as a starter. I think this is a game ECU. You know, has just as much, if not more, talent than the opponent. This is the game where your stars have to step up. Does anybody stand out to you, Brett, as far as, hey, this guy or this group of players has to, has to play well? Yeah, I mean, you hate to go captain obvious and go quarterback. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is. College football is a quarterback game. And if you can't score, you can't win in college football anymore. You know, that is what it is. And, uh, you know, I think Holton would tell you he didn't play good enough, but it wasn't just him, obviously. You know, he was – consistently knocked off his mark back there. Receivers didn't get a whole lot of separation. I think Midland has to play well at corner, you know, for the very reasons that I – Brad just formation – Brad Glenn just formation just so well. And there's going to be – there's going to be some one-on-one shots, you know, and, and can he cut off the the intermediate routes that are so big and what Georgia State does offensively and do that without jumping and getting beat on a double move here at there, uh, you know, college football to me is turned into not only is it a line of scrimmage game, but it's a quarterback and a cornerback league because you just you have to have at least one corner who can take away a dominant receiver. And I don't know if Georgia State's got that guy, but any time that you just allow safeties to that one guy's side to either rotate to the middle of the field or come down. As long as he doesn't have to cloud one corner, you're in such a much better spot. So, um, you know, I'm a defensive back guy too. So uh, that's probably why I always probably lean there. But those two on each side of the ball, uh, I think, are big keys to this football game. Uh, Pirate PA asked a uh, little bit uh, off season. This is a men's basketball question as far as scheduling. Any word on a men's basketball schedule coming soon? Uh, besides conference and tournament games, what other non-conference games do you expect us to be playing? Uh, from I've heard mid-October, late October is the the hope for a basketball schedule. You got to remember the start date moved back to November 25th, so they're they're really piecing together. Last time I talked to Joe Dooley, there's a lot of moving parts there. They're trying to figure out exactly if they're going to play in that tournament in Florida, and so I think you know that is a key. That would be at the start of the season, and then you're probably looking at some of those December non-conference games regionally being more of the the fit i think they had a, a couple of games in the region that uh that they were going to welcome teams in that, that southern miss was scheduled to come here i don't know what the status of that game is so um i just don't have a lot of details on that right now because it's so fluid uh back to football purple hook asks what changes if any do you think we execute from a defensive standpoint this week to generate more of a pass rush against georgia state uh brett i'll let you start with this do you feel like ECU does anything differently it seemed like they weren't able to get a lot of four-man pressure last week do you, do you see them blitzing or just sticking more with an aggressive style I think they're going to run a little bit more edge pressure just by the nature of what Georgia State does offensively not only to combat the passing game but you know, just by nature of the zone read game having and the, the quarterback outside run or the quarterback boot game, edge pressure is a lot better than interior pressure for that reason. Um, so I think you'll see a little bit more of that, you know, maybe than what you saw. And I, I think you'll see against Central Florida, they came from depth, meaning when they were trying to blitz the quarterback, they were trying to show a pass coverage and then come late um to maybe surprise them and it just didn't quite get home quick enough for it in the case central florida obviously picked it up because they do a good job in pass protection i think you're going to see more run blitzes that are also good but a lot of times with the run blitzes you have to show them a little bit earlier so the disguises won't be as well um won't be as good but at the same time you do get on the block of if it happens to be called during a pass play, you do get on the block a little bit quicker. And I always say to get off a block, you got to get on a block first. So we'll see. I, I think I don't know how much disguise you want to do because you really just need to be in a position where you can see your key. And if you're a quarterback player, making sure you're not getting out leveraged by the quarterback player. If you're a dive player, making sure you can play your fit or your gap based on what they're doing. So I don't know how much pre-snap movement you're going to get. I think you're going to get a whole lot more post-snap 
uh, stuff. And I think the coverage is just by nature of what Georgia State does offensively when you have a running quarterback you're either going to get East Carolina in a too high safety look with both of those safeties being conflict players at about eight to 10 yards, what we call, what I call quarters, um, not cover two. So too high, but it's really their run pass players based on it, or they've got to go ahead and move a safety down in the box and play an eight man front. So, you know, you're not going to be a whole lot of show and cover two rotating to this. And I just, I don't think that's going to be a, be a thing this week. Uh, Purple Hook also asked, do you think Coach Steve Shankweiler was surprised by last Saturday's poor O-line play, or do you think UCF had such a good rush that we will look much better against Georgia State? Uh, Personally, I think it's a little bit of both. I I, I don't think Coach Shank would be surprised. I mean, he's seen these guys. He knows UCF is a really good defensive front. And I also think no position was hit harder by coronavirus and contact tracing outside of the offensive line. And I think that really affected a lot of these guys' weights. Deontay Smith, your starting left tackle, really wasn't able to practice hardly at all all preseason. We talked about Bailey Malovic. He came to the game at 257 pounds. So he knew there were going to be some challenges. Uh, Brett, what did you see as far as the matchup between that defensive front and, and maybe what we'll see versus Georgia State? Well, I'm 34 years old, and Shank was a veteran when I was born. So I don't think he's surprised at anything. I think he's going he's to seen it all. There was a, a shot in the fourth quarter, you know, in a 48 to 14 game or whatever it was where he's over there with the line and he's drawing something up on, on the grease board. You know, he's going to coach. Uh, and he, he's coach's coach and um, he's a really good coach. Obviously you don't, you don't do it at the FBS level for as long as he's done, you know, without having that, uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Stephen, when you talk about COVID uh, and the issues that have been caused up there. And I, I think I texted you during the game. There were, and I'm not going to call out a specific position, but there's two spots on the line, you know, that I just said, boy, it's it's got a chance to be a long year at two of those spots because I just right now I'm not sure they're. I'm just not sure the team's good enough. Uh, I'll be honest. And and some of that might not be a talent issue. It might be a uh, body type issue, if you will. And uh, Central Florida is good, man. I mean, I think people just – they're going to give up some points by nature of the fact that they go fast and the defense is going to have to play two or three extra possessions a game, you know, and that's going to lead to 24 or 28 points. Even they gave up 28 last week but that's a good football team and that's a football team that's going to be able to rush the passer and you don't have to rush them very long if you can play man and you don't have to cover them very long if you can get a pass rush. So um, I don't think Shank was, I don't think Shank was surprised, you know, does he have his work cut out? Certainly. But you know, where this football team over the course of the last and I'll be honest, I'm not even sure they ever got to the point under Ruffin, even, you know, to where we were at the line of scrimmage um, in the late 2000s with guys like Willie Smith and Doug Palmer and, and those guys up front, not to mention what we had on the defensive line. Uh, it's two or three classes away from building that kind of depth on the offensive and defensive lines for that matter. Uh, Pirate Treasure NC asks, what is you guys' opinion on Holton's decision-making and footwork? Uh, he says, I am with some posters by year three. These things should be tightened up. But then again, that was one of the craziest off-seasons in history, so that may have had something to do with it. Um, yeah, I think Holton's come a long way with his fundamentals. I still think there are some things he needs to clean up. You know, it's always awkward, Brett. I don't know how you feel about this. Watching a lefty quarterback, and uh, Holton, obviously, in high school, you know, he, he had developed a lot as a quarterback, but he was almost more of an athlete. So we all knew this was going to be a transition. You know, from your vantage point, what do you feel like, you know, fundamentally, I think he's come a long way. Are there things he needs to improve? Yes. But um, I know you pointed out in your video maybe one instance where he was kind of throwing off his, you know, back foot a little bit more so than really stepping into it off the, uh, the play fake. I think in the modern game, Stephen, a quarterback has to be able to throw off platform, which is why, and I don't mean an athlete in terms of a runner. I mean somebody who's got extraordinarily hand-eye, extraordinarily extraordinarily good hand-eye coordination and the ability to 
you know, play shortstop or whatever the case may be, or in his case, play first base and turn a double play, the ability to get the ball out of your hands quick. Um, your feet and your shoulders throw the football. You know, I, you people, anyone who knows anything about quarterback play will say that. But, uh, you know, when you sit there and you look at Mahomes or you look at Aaron Rodgers, the two best throwers of the football on the planet right now, you know, they don't throw it all the time out of a clean pocket. And, and they throw from different arm angles. Uh, you know, the one thing about Holton is the the elbow dips a little bit sometimes, and, and the release is naturally a little bit longer than what you would like. But I tell you, I went up there just for my own studying purposes because we're we're going to some RPO-based stuff and spent the day with Donnie, um, I guess it was in February or March, and just watched cut-ups, just basically picking his brain on the passing game. He did some things last year, though, when he was off platform and he didn't have a clean pocket that pretty much tell you, you know, that kid can play quarterback at the FBS level. And you don't throw for all those yards without being able to do it. Does he have a textbook release? No. Uh, Is he going to be given a clean pocket all the time? No. But no, I mean, he's a player. I really do believe that. And I think he's he's obviously better than anybody else they have, because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be playing. You know, I know there was an argument on are they willing to play him or not play him based on being from Greenville. Mike Houston don't give a rat tree in about that. He don't. That kid's the that kid's a good player, and he's going to be a good player, and he's going to be a good player until the day he leaves. Now, I've watched Garcia throw live with my own eyes. He's a better thrower of the football than anybody on East Carolina's roster, and I don't have to go see the rest of them because I've never seen a high school kid throw a football like that. In, in my life, I'm talking as a college recruiter, and when I went down to Bartram Trail High School uh, four years ago and signed one of their quarterbacks, they had one committed to Auburn and they had another one committed to Boise State. Gatewood throws it better, or excuse me, Garcia throws it better than Joey Gatewood did, you know, but, and it comes out of his hand the way it's supposed to be, but right now, Holton gives that team a better chance to win, and is he perfect fundamentally? No, but he's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, and you can always work to improve. Uh, Pirate Treasure also asks, is there anything to fall camp with baseball? Uh, they actually started practice last Friday, so um, per sources within the program. So I hope to have some fall camp baseball coverage for you guys. Maybe during ECU's bye week sometime in November. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you up to date there. Um, let's see here. Uh, trying to make sure we get all the questions. All right, Chess Pirate. Uh, he's, he's got a bit of a long comment here, but I'll read it. Uh, we started out so well against UCF, but by the end of the game, that was a distant memory as our passing game fell apart. Not taking anything away from UCF as their defense was very strong, but how much of our struggles do you think were from us losing confidence and momentum from the three fumbles in the first half compared to how we would – have struggled versus their talent anyway. In other words, how much closer do you believe this game would have been without the fumbles? Um, I do think, you know, when when they fumbled on those drives, Brett, they were pretty much moving the ball at will. Uh, I think that one of the fumbles came on a third and ten uh, where they ran the draw to Penix, and maybe you don't finish that drive. But I, I thought the first two fumbles for sure, they look like they were going to score on those drives, and I think if you do that and you keep UCF's offense off the field, that's a much different game. And I think for ECU, let's be real, this is a program that's had five straight losing seasons. When you start to have some adversity and some negativity on, on back-to-back-to-back series, I think it does go to your head, no matter how much the coaching staff tries to preach uh, you know, mental, and mental toughness and overcoming adversity, all that. I think there is some natural, uh, you know, here we go again type of philosophy uh, as a coach have you seen that with teams in the past well you know I, one thing that's posted in my locker room i actually took from coach holtz who took from his father it's called the seven areas that were critical to you winning a football game and foolish penalties who wins the explosive play battle um things of that nature are all on there special teams missed assignments loafs effort whatever number one on that list is turnovers most indicative stat to, to winning a ball game other than points. I mean, uh, and I right now, East Carolina is not in a position to where they can beat a Central Florida 
unless Central Florida has one of those days. You know what I'm saying? That the, East, the, the method for East Carolina winning that game was play great and hope Central Florida doesn't play great because even if it's a 60-minute game and all is even, Central Florida's got a better – they got better players right now, or at least they have a better, more experienced roster uh, with, with high-level talent. So – you know, East Carolina takes it right down the field, scores. Central Florida takes it down the field, scores. And then you get a, a gaping counter run play that they run, and it's nine yards, and the kid lays it on the turf in his first carry. Defense holds. You do the same thing on, I think it was a quarterback draw, wasn't Holton's uh, play the next one, and you, you get another explosive, that's your fumble. Defense holds again, but eventually when you give a football team like Central Florida the ball that many times and you've now played, whether or not you hold or not, you've played 10 to 12 extra snaps. And the law of averages takes place when you're playing a top three, four, excuse me, top three, four or five offense in the country, the more snaps you give them, eventually the dam's going to break on you. And that's what happened. Uh, It was what it was. And East Carolina, they kept fighting. I think Coach Houston was encouraged by the intensity and the fact we call it sudden change. Everybody calls it sudden change when that defense is over there sucking water and they're going through adjustment and uh, you hear, ball, you know, everybody says it. And sudden change, sudden change. And how do you take the field with that attitude? I can come up and I can get off that bench and I can go, woe is me. Well, the first two or three times they kept going out there off the sudden change and got stops that they need, held them to a field goal one time and got stops the other time. Well, by the third or fourth time you do that, you're like, Jeez, dude. I mean, you can be the most mentally tough individual in the world. But the fact is now I've still played 20 snaps that I had no business playing. So could the game have been more competitive? Yes. But I always say after a ball game, what could have happened did happen. And East Carolina's obviously got to do a better job of taking care of the football because if you're minus four in turnovers every week, you know, it's going to be a long, long fall uh, in Pitt County. Yeah, we all said going into the game, ECU had to win the turnover battle to have a chance. And, you know, you just can't go minus four. And really, some coaches count a turnover on downs as a turnover. ECU also didn't pick up that fourth down, uh, which really you could almost say five turnovers. So, uh, But definitely minus four is not going to get it done versus a Georgia State, definitely not a UCF. Uh, Let's run through the rest of these questions. We'll try to go quickly as we're running out of time. But uh, uh, ECU – set a rip i still don't know how to pronounce this but uh he asks uh, at what point do you abandon the run uh he's asking in a game and in a season obviously not completely but you realize at some point it's just not what is going to do or it's not going to win you games is what he's saying i guess you know a lot of people were i don't want to say critical but questioning the you know decision to run the ball so much at the end of the game um you know i think it was twofold one to work on the running game but two, they couldn't protect Holt Naylor. So it's almost like if you're just going to drop back and throw it 60 times versus that defensive front, I don't think it really would have done much for you at the end of the day. Uh, Brett, what's your take on just the running game? Do you abandon it at some point if you're ECU? I know Mike Houston is a running coach historically, and I, I know he wants to get this thing going. Well, I think you take an inventory of where you are as a program. I, I don't think Mike Houston believes <laughs> – I don't think he believes, and I fundamentally believe this as well for the record. So, you know, you're talking to a guy who loves to run the football. Um, I don't think he fundamentally believes that to get East Carolina to where it needs to go, although it might in the short term help him win a more a game or two, um, that East Carolina can be what he thinks it can be without establishing a running game over the course of time. Uh, the other thing is that game just got so far out of hand at the end of the second quarter and into the third quarter. At some point, you just want to get the crap out of there. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. So, um, if I thought the passing game was working, I'd say, you know, down 41 to 14, you know, you might as well air it out because there's enough time in a game to score 28 points or not. But that wasn't going to work on Saturday. It was evident that they – they, they couldn't throw and catch effectively enough because of pass protection issues and separation issues and, and quarterback accuracy issues. So, yeah, it did give them some time to try and figure out some things in the running game. Um, you know, when, when you look at it, 250 yards rushing, 
You know, I'd, I'd argue that it never stopped working. Uh, you're not going to block them and get 10 yards every time. It's just, it's not that easy to do it. But I saw some things running the football that I really liked. You know, I really did. And I, the more and more that they're able to do that, the better off they're going to be. You know, I, I would I would argue I'd, I have no problem with what they're doing offensively at all. And I mentioned what I – you know, I have a very high opinion of Coach Kirkpatrick. Uh, I would like to see Holton run the football a little bit more. I really would. I think it would add a dimension. It would slow down – it slows down the pass rush, you know, the ability to run the speed option or the power read to, to read – to leave defensive ends unblocked every now and then and force them to kind of stay at home and keep them honest. Um, it, that, to me, would, would help this football team uh, immensely. But I also – I'm not privy to watching practice, so – you know, when you run the quarterback, the more hits he's going to take. Um, but he's not your typical 190-pound quarterback either. So, uh, I mean, I know it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Some people think that's what he is, but that kid can play tailback. I mean, he can run the football. I'd like to see him carry it 10 times a game on quarterback runs and not just not just your standard third and 12 draw or your or your – you know, scramble, if you will. You know, I think it would behoove them to, to maybe look into that some more, but we'll see. Yeah, I think Pro Football Focus broke it down, and he had only five design runs, which, you know, not a ton, but not a, a, a tiny amount. He actually had, I think, seven scrambles or something like that. So he had more scrambles due to the pressure than runs. Yeah, I think you'll see him carry the football yeah. more, especially in the red zone. You know, I think that where things get a little bit tighter, um, just kind of having that extra – big body, you know, maybe put a, a, you know, him and Penix back there. And that just obviously put forces you to get some guys up there on the line to stop them and should open up some one-on-ones on the outside, uh, if you will. Yeah, we had a number of questions about injuries this week. Um, you know, I think ECU came out of the game pretty good injury-wise. I do – I have heard that the offensive tackles, Deontay Smith – was a little banged up, as was Malovic, so we'll keep an eye on their status. Noah Henderson missed the game. He was the starting right tackle for the last four games of last year. Uh, I, I've heard he's a maybe this week, but might need another week. So he would start probably over Malovic if he's able to get back, but I think he's dealing with a nagging injury, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, we, we have, uh, we'll have two more questions, then we'll get you out of here, Brett. Um, so somebody wants to know, on a scale of one being not a big deal – to 10 being, holy crap, we aren't going to win a game this year. How much of a must-win is this game versus Georgia State? Um, I've been going back and forth on this. I think it's it's hard to call any game a must-win so early in the season. I do think this is a very important game to ECU. Uh, you know, you look on the schedule, there's not a whole lot of games you're going to be favored in, and ECU's an underdog this week, but this is a game I think if you go execute on the road, you can win, so... Uh, for an ECU program in the American playing a Sun Belt team, I think this is a game on paper you, you really need to win, but I'm not going to say it's a must-win. Kind of where do you stand uh, there as a as somebody who evaluates the game, but also as an alum, you want to see this program get to where it was. Yeah, you know, I hearken back to Coach Holtz, and you know, he really inherited a really tough job, I guess, with, with Coach Holland hiring him after the – kind of the in-between Steve Logan's last couple of years, didn't have a great roster. And then obviously everyone knows what the John Thompson experiment was. But I think our second year, it was the first year I was really involved in the program. So 2006, it was maybe our third or fourth game. You know, we're, we're in a dog fight with Memphis at halftime. And they might be up 21-7 to seven or something like that. And uh, eventually you have to win a game like that where the players on the other team are as good or as, as just as good as you, you know, they had D'Angelo Williams and Casey Ross got a big pick six in that ball game. And we turned them around, I think one thirty-five to 21. And, and pretty much after that point, the program was on their way at some point this year, East Carolina needs to win a game like that, you know, where they might not play great, but you know, they just win with, toughness because I don't think this team is ready to out-talent anybody. I mean, I don't know how good South Florida 
is right now. I don't know how good Tulane is. I don't. I mean, some of the league looks like it might be a little bit more down, but at some point, this team's going to have to beat a quality football team. And why not go do it on the road on Saturday? Is it a must win? Is Mike Houston's job on the line? Absolutely not. Um, but at some point this year, this team needs to go win a game or two to where, you know, the light switch just flips on for them. And lastly for you, uh, Brett, Pirate fan asked, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but he says Georgia State hasn't had a 300-yard passing game in 11 games. Do we stack the box and make them beat us with the pass? Um, you know, you touched on that with the mobile quarterback. This will be his second career start, you know, so I would like to see ECU make him make some some tough throws, but it, you kind of almost have to do that with his ability with in the run game. You you can't just sit back and in soft coverage or else I think he's he, he might I mean, if you're go if ahead. you're sitting back there with if you're sitting back there with two soft safeties, you're you're just going to be yeah. minus one half minus two in the in the run game at all so you're gonna have to play some type of low safety quarters look you know or and or just go ahead and play an eight-man front and and get the extra hat in the box and and do those kind of things but one thing that the kid's last name is brown maybe yeah but he big arm man you know that was one thing that really caught my eye watching him throw the football i don't know how accurate he is right now um, cause he is, you know, he's obviously not been the guy before, but boy, they pushed, Brad's going to push the ball down the field. He's going to throw double moves. He's going to throw post routes and you're going to give up, you're going to, you're going to play some games in one-on-one. I mean, it is what it is. So, you know, what kind of job does Steve Ellis and or, um, you know, the one thing like UCF does, man, they don't just put your corners in one-on-one. They'll run their slots down the field and the safeties and all of that, um, you know, they're doing – will Georgia State take a page out of that book and try to put your safeties in some one-on-one spots? Um, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I don't think they have a choice. I mean, the safeties um, and the nickels are – they're going to have to be involved in the run fit as well as the as well as well the, the passing fit. They're, they're, they're true conflict players this week, basically being able to read play action, being able to read drop back, being able to read run. Um and that, that puts those corners on an island all day. It is what it is. All right, Brett. Well, that is going to do it for our questions, man. We had a ton of questions on the Hoist of Colors message board, and uh, we'll let you get out of here. We already kept you a little bit longer than we said we would. But uh, great insight, man. We, we Again, can't appreciate it and can't thank you enough for uh, kind of the insight you brought to Hoist of Colors and uh, looking forward to more of your work. And, and hopefully ECU can play well this weekend, come out with a big road victory, and we can be breaking down a – a win next week or over the weekend and into next week. But uh, we appreciate the insight, man. Got a hunch. Pirates by three. Hey, I'll take it. Hey, hey, just get out of there, win by one, and leave. Whatever it takes. Bro, that plane ride is a whole lot better when you win. I promise you that. So appreciate it, man. Absolutely. That is Brett Hickman, head coach at West Brunswick High School and contributor to Hoist the Colors. All right, thanks again to Brett Hickman for joining the Hoist the Colors podcast. Great insight from Brett, Brett, and really appreciate him taking some time out of his day. we got a few more questions I want to run through here before we get out of here. Uh, Pirate Backer asks, is it just me or does anyone else think we have been in a curse ever since we lost the victory formation debacle UCF game? Uh, Absolutely. It does feel like that. It seems like everything has gone downhill since then. You know, honestly, the 2015 season, looking back at it, it seemed like it was a tough year at the time. I mean, who wouldn't take that now? Five and seven, a bunch of close competitive games. Uh, Man, that honestly was a fun season looking back at it, but compared to expectations going in, it really uh, didn't seem like it at the time, but really it was. So uh, Buck Wild 17 asks, can Ehlers throw in motion be refined this late in his career? His elbow is too wide on the release. You know, uh, Brett touched on that a little bit earlier, and um, that's something that you probably, you know, you can maybe tighten it up a little, but you're not going to overhaul throw mechanics in his junior season. It's just not going to happen. ECU Salty Dog asks, how much of a difference does Chris Willis make if he gets to play? Do we get a consistent or even some of the time pressure with the defensive line? Chris Willis, I looked at the numbers. He was one of the more highest graded uh, pass rushers during his time at Appalachian State. 
He's just a really solid player. Played around 30, 35 snaps a game. Produced well. Held up well against the run. So I think he would be a big addition. You know, he's coming off an Achilles injury, so I don't want to say he's going to go out there and get a bunch of sacks right away. But I think at the least he gives you a solid veteran presence, and you really need that on this young defensive line as the season goes along. So I definitely think it would be a major, major boost. Um, he also asked, I don't know if I saw anything on Noah Henderson, but hopefully he gets back soon too. We touched on that a little bit. Hopefully, you know, I'm here maybe in the next week or so he can get back. Uh, with our size at corner, you could see how bigger wide receivers give us fits. Glad Nolan Johnson could step up and cover them at 6'2". He gives us some way to combat that. Uh, I agree. I, I, I personally think, you know, Nolan is a, uh, a real wild card with the cornerback room, with the size, especially with Nigel not, not looking like much of a factor right now, the Alabama transfer. ECU Salty Dog continues, do you think we are on the right path and were undone by three straight turnovers uh, against UCF? Uh, again, we kind of touched on that earlier. I think that really took the steam out of the offense as a whole. They were moving the ball well, and you just can't turn the ball over three consecutive times in the first quarter against a top 13 team. So, yeah, definitely. And um, he wraps up his question by saying, how do we fare against the spread read option that Georgia State runs? Is it similar to Navy? Well, I don't think it's similar to Navy, thankfully, with their precision. But I do like, you know, you look at ECU's defensive front, not very big, but pretty fast, pretty athletic. Uh, but you do worry about how they're going to combat Georgia State's six foot five, 200-pound quarterback his ability to get to the edge. It's just going to be a different monster compared to what they saw versus UCF, but I certainly like this matchup more than what UCF brought to the table, even though it will be a much different and more unique challenge. All right, so that'll do it for your questions on the Hoist of Colors message board. It looks like we have finally been approved for Apple and for Spotify, so you'll be able to find our apps up there, uh, if not now, in the coming hours. So please uh, subscribe. That way you'll know when each episode drops. And please give us a rating, five stars, hopefully, because each rating you give us allows us to you know, get some more momentum within the Apple podcast world. Whenever people search East Carolina for the first time, you're going to see Hoist the Colors pop up on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So uh, rate and subscribe if you like what we do on Hoist the Colors. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the HTC Podcast. Again, we'd like to thank Brett, Brett Hickman, the West Brunswick High School and Hoist the Colors contributor for joining us. Great insight from Brett. Uh, we'll be back with you with a post-game episode. Not sure who will join us for our guest or our guest co-host, but hopefully we're talking about a pirate win over Georgia State sometime this weekend. Until then, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors. <laughs>